So we'll begin with a, a story that uh, actually took place 14 years ago. Uh, this headline came out in December of 2007, and it said this, Man's wedding ring deflects robber's potentially lethal bullet. So I thought, i got to read this story. So here it is. The guy's name is Donnie Register, and it goes like this. He's a happily married man uh, who would likely uh, always proudly display his wedding ring, especially after what happened to him this weekend. The Jackson, Mississippi man was in his antique store on Saturday when two men walked in, pulled a gun, and demanded Register's register to be emptied. When the owner didn't move fast enough, the gunman opened fire, aiming at the businessman's head. In a reflex action, Register threw up his left hand, the one with his wedding ring on it. And I want you to see a picture of his wedding ring, because here's what happened. In an incredible coincidence or miracle, the bullet hit the ring and deflected the projectile. He was hurt, but still very much alive. The bullet managed to go through two of his fingers uh, without severing the bone. A part of the bullet broke off in his middle finger and the other part in his neck. Uh, it lodged in the muscle tissue, but it wasn't life-threatening. And then the criminals ran off, but Donnie Register survived. Here's the question. Was it a coincidence or was it a miracle? And here's a reminder to all you married people. <laughs> make sure you wear that puppy. <laughs> So today's message is called Everyday Miracles. We've been going through uh, the book of Matthew, and we're in chapter 9. And uh, actually today, what we'll be looking at is uh, quite a few miracles that Jesus performed. And so get ready for this. Our three points today are miracles, more miracles, and even more miracles. Uh, so again, if you have a Bible, you can be turned into Matthew chapter 9. And if you don't have one, you can just follow along. I'll have the, I'll have the, uh, the scripture verses uh, up here on, on the screen, you can read along with us. And I still encourage you to look it up later. Uh, but again, the message today is called Everyday Miracles, and our points are going to be miracles, more miracles, and even more miracles. Let's pray together. Let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for this morning. We thank you. You really are an awesome God. You're a great God, Lord, just like we sang about a little while ago. You are so great, Lord. Uh, you're bigger than the universe that you created. And yet, you can have a relationship with each person who is willing to have a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would speak to us today. And Lord, teach us from these stories that we'll be reading from Matthew 9. Change our lives, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so our first point today is miracles. And uh, in this section here, we'll be talking about how Jesus performs two separate miracles on a woman and on a young girl. So we start in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. It says this, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. So the first thing we see here is that a ruler approaches Jesus, which was very rare. And in fact, it would be viewed as unpopular, uh, you know, considering his status. But still he came and verse 18 tells you why he tells Jesus, my daughter has died. Here's a thought. When death occurs, 
we should seek comfort in Christ. In fact, that's the only place where we would find true comfort. Um, I'm reminded of uh, the book of Job. So if you remember the story of Job, uh, he found out within a few minutes that he had lost absolutely everything he owned, including all of his children. And here was Job's response. This comes out of the first chapter of Job, verse 20. It says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He had lost everything. And his reaction was to go to his knees and to worship Almighty God, to seek comfort in God. We can really find peace in God when we go through our greatest calamities. So, Jesus, on his way to the ruler's house, has an unexpected encounter. And we see that in chapter 9, verse 20. It says this, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, He said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. So now the story about the ruler and the little girls interrupted by this other story about this lady who uh, is dealing with a a terrible plight. And I find it interesting. This is just me personally. I find it interesting that God includes throughout the Bible stories. He just kind of sprinkles it in. Stories of different women. That was unheard of in ancient history. But this woman in particular, just an insignificant woman going through a problem that you and I would have never heard about, except that God decided that this story should be included in the very word of God. It tells us in verse 20 that she had been dealing with this issue for 12 years. Now, in case you don't know this, um, The ailment she was going through, it prevented her from being able to enter the court or the temple where people would worship. Now think about that. For 12 years, she couldn't enter the temple. But in this moment, she could be in the very presence of Christ himself, of the great physician. We're not going to read this next part, but I just want to tell you that that there were laws way back in the book of Leviticus that told women what to do when they were uh, in their in their time of menstruation. And so here, uh, I just wanted to just kind of remind you just some of those things from Leviticus 15. It says that that a woman during that time would be considered unclean and not until the eighth day she was to bring either two turtle doves or pigeons to the priest and he would offer them one as a sin offering and one as a burnt offering. But in the meantime, she would be separated or banned from temple worship. Now think about that until the eighth day when she came to the priest. But this lady in particular that meets Jesus, she had been banned from that place longer than eight days. In fact, longer than nine or ten days. Twelve years. Twelve years she'd been dealing with this. And now... She meets the king of kings. She approaches Jesus. There's no spoken request. Think about how embarrassing her issue would be, right? And then to talk to a man of all people and then to do it publicly. Just imagine what she might have been feeling. 
But we're told her thoughts. In verse 21, here's what she was thinking. If only I could touch his garment. Now, think about that just for a minute, because there's no precedent why she should think that, that just by touching his garment, she could receive a miracle. Uh, Jesus had done quite a few miracles by this point, but no one up until this point had ever just tried to walk up and touch his clothing. In fact, I don't know of any other story of anyone doing it after as well. And so I thought about that and I thought about this. Where might she get the idea that just by touching his clothing, something miraculous might happen? And I thought about something that happened a long, long time ago, centuries before she was born, in the story of the prophet Elisha, where he had actually died and then someone else was placed in his grave. So I want us to read that. This comes out of Second Kings chapter 13, verse 21. It says, and as a man was being buried, behold, skip a little bit, the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. Just makes you wonder. We're not told this, but it makes you wonder if when the lady had heard that story that she thought maybe, just maybe, if I sneak up on him and touch his clothing. Well, next we see Christ's response to her and we find that he was very gracious to her. Now, imagine someone who was so saturated with grace. Now, we're talking about Jesus now, but imagine someone who was so saturated with grace and mercy that all you had to do was touch his clothing and something powerful would happen. And that reminds me of something we can read about in Psalm 133, uh, where it talks about um, Aaron, the high priest. So I wanted to read that real quick. Psalm 133, verse 2 says this. It says, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Aaron had been the high priest, again, centuries before this lady was even born. And here uh, in Psalms, it records that, you know, when they would anoint Aaron with oil, it wasn't just on his head, but it would run down on his beard and it would go on his clothing all the way down. And it was a foreshadowing, actually, of Christ, how Christ would be full of this grace and mercy. And in this case, even his clothing. The story implies that what she planned to do was to touch Jesus and then to walk off unnoticed and hopefully receive some kind of miracle, some kind of healing. We're not sure exactly what she was thinking, but it just kind of implies that she was just going to kind of sneak up and touch him and go unnoticed. But to her surprise, Jesus took notice. What would his response be? Would he scold her? Would he embarrass her? Verse 22 tells us that immediately he gave her words of comfort. He says, take heart. He calls her daughter. And he says, your faith has made you well. The story teaches quite a few things. One of the ideas is this, y'all, is that ladies who are believers, Christ considers you a daughter. In his many roles, Jesus can speak to us as creator, as provider, as high priest, as savior, and even as father. And a word to all the, the shy Christians in the room. This story can be a reminder that Jesus has not forgotten you and he does notice you. 
At this point, Jesus arrives at the ruler's house. So we pick up that story again. And we're in verse 23 of chapter 9. We're still in Matthew. It says, when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Look at their response. And they laughed at him. They had no idea who this was in their presence. Verse 25. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. Verse 24. Jesus says the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. So I started thinking about sleep. Do you ever just think about how odd the whole behavior of sleep is? I mean, we all have it in common. But it's one of the strangest behaviors that people do worldwide. The average person on a daily basis grows tired, lies down, closes his or her eyes. And then time continues to pass without the notice of the person who has closed their eyes and are sleeping. The average person sleeps somewhere between seven to nine hours. And, you know, of course, we're different, but that's the average, about seven to nine hours. If you think about that number, right, the day is only 24 hours long. That means literally on average, we sleep away a third of our lives. We spend a third of our lives closing our eyes, lying down and being unaware of whatever's going on in the world around us. Every human experiences this in common. The kindest believer to the vilest offender. Sleep, and these are Miguel's thoughts, sleep, I believe, is a daily reminder of death. It's a daily reminder that one day our body will lie down here, right? We'll close our eyes here on this planet, but our eyes are going to open somewhere else and we're either going to meet our Savior or our judge. Now, uh, when I think about sleep, I think back to high school. So um, young people, y'all don't know this because driver's ed has changed, okay? But back in the day, all right, when we were driving Model Ts, all right, back in the day when I was in high school, the way they handled driver's ed was, uh, at least in the public school, was there would be a teacher or two or three that would teach driver's ed to the students. And so you went to the class as a group, but then when it was time to drive the car, you would, you would be with your instructor and two people would go. And so, you, and you only had about an hour, right? Whatever class it was, first period, second period. And so you'd leave the school, right? And one of the, one of the high school kids would drive out a certain distance. And then the other, uh, the other student would, you know, they'd switch seats and then he would drive back. One of the teachers at my school saw, you know, I went to East Jeff High. A couple of y'all might remember this guy, but it was uh, Mr. Anderson. And then there were two other teachers. I, I can't remember their names, but Mr. Anderson is infamous for this story that one day there was an announcement in the middle of the day that Mr. Anderson's driver's ed classes would be canceled for the rest of the day. <laughs> well, of course, rumors start like, wonder what happened, you know. Well, we found out the next day that during the driver's ed class, Mr. Anderson fell asleep in the car, okay? But wait, <laughs> it gets worse. He fell asleep the day that they were driving on interstate, 
right? And so, now the good thing is, nothing happened to the car. They were all safe. But the bad news for him, he didn't wake up till they were past Baton Rouge. (laughs) Sleep, y'all. Sleep is a reminder, right? Sleep is a reminder that life here on earth is not permanent. Now, that leads us to our second point, okay? Our second point today is more miracles. At this point, Jesus performs a healing of two blind men. So let's pick up the story. We're still in chapter 9, verse 27. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. So look at verse 27. It mentions two blind men. They follow him, and they're crying out loud, and they're calling him, Son of David. So these two blind men, they're following Jesus, right? And Jesus had other followers, but there's two in the crowd and they're blind. So however they're getting along and they're crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. And they're making a commotion. Unlike the lady that we just heard about, who remember she came up quietly and was just going to try to touch him and leave unnoticed. These guys are making a racket. The title they use, they call him Son of David. And uh, the idea was this. They're referring to a prophecy that had been written hundreds of years ago. In fact, at that point, uh, it was a prophecy that, that the prophet Samuel spoke to King David. So let's go back and look at that. That's in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And here's Samuel speaking to David, right, you know, from uh, you know, the Lord's word to him. And it says here, verse 12, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, that means to King David, when you die, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, if you remember literally the line of King David you know, he was followed by King Solomon and then there was King Rehoboam. And you can follow the line of David. And theoretically, any one of those descendants, you could call a son of David because they had descended from him. But this prophecy in particular, that very last part, which says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. It's talking about the one who would end that dynasty and that one was Jesus Christ, the Messiah. If you don't know what that word means, it means the promised one, the anointed one, the one who would come, the Christ. And that's why these blind men could call him son of David. They recognized that Jesus had descended from King David. And by the way, he had the rightful, I mean, he was the rightful king of Israel. Now, think about this. How did these blind men acquire their faith? Okay, they couldn't see the miracles Jesus had done. But you know what they could do? They could hear. I want you to see what it says in the book of Romans, chapter 10. It says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. These blind men had blind men had faith in Christ, not because they had ever seen him or seen his miracles, but they had heard what he had done. They had heard about his person and they had faith, just like God promises. Matthew 9, verse 28 says, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, 
do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were open. So verse 28, he asked them a strange question. Do you believe that I am able? I want you to think for a minute about what Jesus did not ask these guys. He did not ask them, are you worthy? He didn't ask them, have you done a list of good deeds? Are you wealthy? But instead he asked this, do you believe that I am able? The emphasis was on Christ, on his person, that he was, in fact, the Messiah, right? That he was almighty God in human flesh, the word incarnate. But also the emphasis was on their faith in Christ. So he asked that question. Verse 29, after they responded to him, he tells them, according to your faith. And at that point, they were miraculously healed. But again, I want to emphasize that what Jesus emphasized, it was all about faith alone in Christ alone. The three miracles that we've talked about so far this morning, they all have this in common. They were not put on grand display. I just want to go back and review them real quick. There's a lady that touched Jesus. Remember, she was going to go up, just touch him quietly. Jesus turned around, had a conversation with her. Okay, other people see, but nobody else would be able to tell what had just transpired. This miracle that had just happened. Now, in the case of the girl, there was people laughing. And so Jesus went into the room with her and where no one could see that miracle took place. And he raised her from the dead. And here with these blind men, he waited until they had followed into the house. So sometimes, just an idea, but sometimes God's greatest miracles are difficult to see. A uh, long time ago when I finished college, uh, I went into full-time ministry with Campus Life. Um, in case you're not familiar, that's a, a high school ministry on campus. And um, one of my responsibilities was to raise all the money I was going to need to for my own living, but also to cover ministry expenses. And that was beyond all the stuff that had to happen with the schools. But I remember I was just fresh out of college. And I remember the number, the actual dollar amount that somehow I was going to have to raise and how I would pray and just how I realized there was no way I was going to be able to raise this amount of money by myself. Somehow God was going to have to do a work. Now, the timing was kind of funny because in all my years of doing campus life, uh, we never did any kind of TV commercial. And so it just happened that year uh, they were going to film a little 30-second spot that was going to go on the PBS channel. But I want you to picture how this commercial was because at the time there were seven of us on staff and I was a newbie, right? So I was on the end and the way it would look on your TV screen is the commercial would begin and you had seven of us sitting across. Again, I was on the end and pretty quickly the camera began to close in on the executive director. And I bet you some of y'all remember him. His name is Dave Veerman, but it closed in on him and Dave, you know, made the uh, the appeal, you know, for for support for the ministry. So my face was probably on the screen. I mean, I was itty bitty right on, you know, just on the end was probably only on the screen about five seconds. And do you know, uh, within a day and, and that commercial didn't run but a few times and only on the right on the public channel, you know, um, 
Can I say this was before cable? <laughs> it may have been. It was late 70s, you know. But here's the point, y'all. A phone call came into our office, and uh, a man had noticed and asked this question, is that Miguel that I saw on the commercial? And again, I wasn't on there very long. And of course, they answered yes. And he became the first person that began to support my ministry. Um, and he did so for about 20, 25 years. But it's not how long he supported it, and it's not how much he gave. That's not the important thing in this story. The important thing is that I was in a pretty vulnerable spot thinking about how huge that amount was that needed to be raised. And God, apart from me, apart from anything I did, showed me that he could supply. He could answer prayer. God really is the one that does miraculous things. In fact, if you think about it, God never does anything average. And that brings us to our third point. Even more miracles. If you ever think about it, y'all, any conversation about Christ results in change. Any conversation about Christ results in change. A person either becomes more open to him or politely nudges him further away. We're in Matthew 9, verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, saw another miracle. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, that's the ones who knew what had been written in, you know, of, of the Bible up until then. They knew it the most. They should have recognized him. But it says here, but the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. Going back to verse 33, the crowds marveled. The crowds expressed faith. They at least could tell, hey, there's something different about this guy. And they said it. This has never happened before. Someone who could do these things. Verse 34 tells you the opposite. It says, but the Pharisees, they accused Jesus of receiving his power by Satan himself. So they rejected him regardless of the fact that they had seen the same miracles all these other people were seeing. Regardless of that, the Pharisees still pushed Christ away. Jesus creates division everywhere he goes. And by the time we hear about him and hear what he has done, we either trust him and become believers or we just at least nudge him. Right. Any answer that's not a yes, we're telling him no. Even if we say we're not ready for him, we're still telling him no and we're pushing him away. My question to you is, are you certain that you've trusted him? That brings us to our application today. And our application is going to um, take the form of three questions. So three questions for you to consider. The first one is this. Is your faith rooted in Christ alone? Remember, we talked about that before. Faith alone in Christ alone. Are you thinking that somehow you're going to be able to reach God through your good works or Jesus plus something you do? Or is your faith alone in Christ alone that you realize you're a sinner, 
separated from God and that you need a savior. And the one savior God the Father has sent was his son who died for your sins and rose again from the dead. Have you put faith in him and him alone to save you? Second question is, when you don't get the miracle you'd like, will you still trust him? When you don't get the miracle you're asking for, you're still going to trust him. And then our third point is, uh, will you keep your eyes open for everyday miracles and thank him? Here's the thought. If you keep your eyes open, here's what you're going to see. Everyday miracles happen every day. Let me pray for you. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, I thank you that you're awesome and you're able. And you never do anything average, Lord. Everything you do is miraculous. So God, I pray as we hear these stories. Lord, I pray you'd give us faith in the supernatural, Lord. I pray that we would trust you for miraculous things. I pray, Lord, you would change our lives. Make us more like you. And that's a miracle too. We just thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.